0: The last thing that we want you to do is show up here at church with your complicated life and uh, get one more complicated thing to do. And that's what I love about the Bible and and the gospel and this church specifically, is that our goal is to make things simple for you. Not because, honestly, that's our goal, but because that's God's goal. It's, It's pretty simple. We like things that are simple. Too much is complicated out there. Cody got this weight set that showed up we, for Christmas, finally got here you know, last week, and then yesterday was our day to put it together. There were boxes and boxes of weight, the rack and all this stuff, and I was dreading how complicated that was gonna be. But man, whoever designed this weight set is my hero, because there were 24 bolts, there were 24 washers, 24 lock nuts, 24 nuts, but they were all exactly the same size, every one of them. So one tool, got the whole thing, got it put together. Uh, simple is good. There's nothing wrong with simple. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean easy, but simple is good. If I want to go visit my daughter in Kansas, it's simple. I mean, I just drive 18 miles over, hit I-35, drive 600 miles up I-35 and take one more left and I'm at her house. That's simple. That don't mean it's easy because I got to drive on I-35, I just said, and you got to go through Austin and Waco and Dallas and Oklahoma City and all that. So simple doesn't always mean easy, but simple is good. It's okay. The ccc.guide is simple. That's a good thing. We need some simplicity in our life. So I am pumped that Jose and the overseers decided that the theme for the series to start this year for us as a church was it's simple. Because it is. The beauty of the gospel is that it is simple. Now, man, you start getting people to translate it and interpret it and teach it and get their own self-worth from how well they do all of those things. And it gets complicated pretty quickly. But the reality is it was designed really simple. There was this loving God who created us, who is just and who is caring. And he had to figure out how to reestablish relationship with a group of people who he loved, but who didn't deserve his mercy because, they, because we're sinful, we're, we're off track, So he sent his son so that someone could be sacrificed so that we could have relationship and eternal life with him. It's not that complicated. Paul went so far to describe, as he was talking to the Corinthians in one verse. he says, I pray that you wouldn't get off track, that you wouldn't be deceived. Just like Eve got deceived, I pray you wouldn't go down that route because the reality is you could be led astray easily from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. We don't want to be led astray. We want to stay focused on the simplicity and the purity of that. It doesn't mean it's easy, but it is simple. So in that simple process, then the next step is, okay, well, what do we do with that? So that's what we're going to talk about, and we started yesterday, last week, and we're going to continue for the next few weeks. Is What do we do about this simple gospel that we're supposed to walk out? They're going to play a few seconds of a theme song. So don't yell it out. It's not a competition. Just see if you can recognize what theme song this is. All right. And, uh, you know, if you get it, you can whisper it to whoever you're you're there appropriately, uh, you know, non-quarantine from it and see who can get it first if you want to. But here you go. They're, they're going to play it. Here we go. Nathaniel's got it. <laughs> All right, raise your hand if you got it. Anybody know what that one is? All right, now, if you're bold and old, raise your hand if you got that because in the 1960s and 70s, there was a TV show that played that theme song. All right, a few of us. All right, how many of you know it because Tom Cruise, this hot dude's running around saving the world here more recently, right? A lot of you get it from that. Mission Impossible. The good news about the gospel is when God gives us a mission, it is not impossible because it is fueled and supercharged by the Holy Spirit that he has given us. And so Jose and the overseers also sat down and kind of honed in our mission for the year here as a church. Mission is important because it gives you a sense of purpose and it gives you action steps to walk it out. A lot of you know I work for this little chicken company full-time. It's my job when I'm not here hanging with you guys. And uh, they got restaurants all over the country. And uh, they have an executive team that is doing their best to operate their business on biblical principles. And they go away and do retreats like all companies do. And they pray about what the mission should be for a period of time. Now, their purpose and vision stays constant. It's on a rock in front of their building. has been there for 40-plus years Uh, So that's solid, doesn't change. But their mission changes because the culture changes and and the the market changes. And about five, six years ago, they went away and they prayed and they heard God saying to them, hey, we need to become the best drive-through of any quick service restaurant in the country. This is five or six years ago. So if you've ever been to a Chick-fil-A, you know they started doing things differently They implemented a double drive-through. And then instead of talking into the box, they actually sent a person out there. And then they sent a person out there with a computer. And now they got the person with the computer in at least two or three lanes. And then over there, they've got another place to get your, you know, run your credit card. And they accomplished their mission by every measure, every fast food restaurant measure, uh, magazine that's out there, they're now ranked the number one quick service. Why is that important? Why does it even matter? Well, it matters because mission focuses our attention and ultimately leads to blessing. See, this COVID thing hit early last year. Guess which fast food service restaurants are gonna do the best? The ones that can have a good drive-through, right? Because you can't go sit down in them anymore. And they were already ahead of that because God had called them to that. God has called us to accomplish some things collectively and individually. And if we do those things, blessings will follow. So I love that in the simplicity of communication, We've put together this plan for our mission here as a church and individually. It's up there on the screen. Jose presented this last week. Our mission is to love God, love people, and make disciples. It's pretty simple. That doesn't mean it's easy, but it is simple. And it focuses our attention. And if we do this well, we will be wildly successful as a church, but we will receive amazing blessing individually as well. He talked about loving God, last week. And uh, I'm gonna hit on a little bit of that just to remind you of what he said, and then we're gonna really get into this loving people this week from the great commandment, because that's where that comes from. Uh, The great commandment, those first two, love God, love people, come from that. When somebody gave you the context, came up and asked Jesus what the greatest commandment was, and he said, love the Lord your God with a heart, soul, mind, and strength, those things, and then love your neighbor as yourself. That was in in Matthew that... uh, He read all of those those verses last week. Uh, Mark also mentions, maybe he mentioned it in Mark. Mark and Matthew both mentioned the great commandment and uh, describe it in detail. So that was the verse from Matthew last week. Where we're going to go this week to kind of bridge the gap from that to this loving people is we're going to look at Jesus's message to his disciples at the end of his time with them. So we spent this three years hanging out with these dudes and he's right at the end of time. And he's got one last message that he wants to give them. Think about that. Think about last messages. If you've ever been around, you know, a grandparent or somebody who was in their last days and they called you into their bedroom or their hospital room to share something with you, that would be really significant, right? You would wanna remember what they said. If you've ever taken kids to drop them off at camp or college and you're like all right we're about to drop them off what are the few things we need to remind them or you know hope that they remember or you know they're going to be representing us as a family what do we want to make sure that you know they don't do let's make let's say it multiple times so they hear it you know or if you've ever been to a graduation ceremony you've graduated from something maybe high school or college you've been sitting out there and they hire some speaker and bring them in to talk and they feel like they need to impart all this wisdom on you and you're like I've been getting educated for 13 years just get this thing over with i want to throw this crazy hat in the air And get out of here. But last words carry weight and are significant. So that's what we're gonna look at here with Jesus. Now, I'm about to say Jesus, and then a game I learned in college in the same sentence, which I'm confident has never happened in church before. Um, But I learned this game. So as I go through this passage, I want us to practice this. All right, I'm varying the game that I learned in college. But every time you hear the word love in Jesus' last words to his disciples, I want you to do some tangible act of connection with somebody beside you, all right? So since it's COVID and all that stuff, I don't want you kissing or hugging or anything like that. So just fist pump the person beside you every time you hear the word love, all right? So now some of you, if you don't have somebody, that's all right. You can fist pump yourself. That's good. Um, There's going to be a lot of them. But I kind of want you to understand how frequently he uses the word love in this last message to his disciples. So we're looking in John, we're going to look at chapter 13, 14, and 15. I don't usually read a lot of passages out of here because when I look down, I'm always worried somebody's going to take off and go home. But I got a lot in here, so I'm going to just read through it because I want you to get the redundancy and the repetitiveness of what he has to say. So in John chapter 13, he actually, in verse 1, lays out the fact that this is it. He says, it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. All right, so you already got two, right? You already, you're up. Don't have to count them. Just kind of keep going. All right, here we go. We're going to skip now forward to 1333. He, again, says, he kind of reiterates, this is his last conversations with them, last teaching. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, verse 34. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now. But you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, Will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. This is where it gets for us. We try to complicate it. Peter tried to complicate it. He's like, Whoa, whoa, you're leaving. I'm going with you. He's like, You can't go where I'm going. He's like, I'd do anything for you. I would die for you. Just like, that's complicated, dude. All I I told you, all I want you to do is love each other. A new command I give you, love one another. A new command I give you. So see, Jesus is saying, we got to love the people around us. And he continues to describe it. I actually think in 14, it's cool in chapter 14, because the passage I'm going to read, starting here in verse 15, it, it, he also says, not only say love people, but he says, if you really love me, here's how you do it. Last week, Jose said that dependency is how, like when you wholeheartedly depend on the Lord and you give him all you have and you commit yourself to that and you reflect on him with your heart and your soul and your mind, then at that point, you're loving God the way you're supposed to. Jesus says that again in these verses. He says dependency is a key attribute to loving God well. Are you depending on him or are you depending on yourself? Are you depending on his direction or are you trying to create your own? And then he adds to dependency, he says, and also obedience. We'll know that you're loving God the way you're supposed to when you're following his commands and living in obedience. So John 14, looking at verse 15. Still, we're still fist pumping, all right? So stick with me. If you love me, keep my commands. So there's exactly what I just said. How do you love God? You keep his commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keep them, is the one who loves me. Again, how do you love God? You keep his commands. The one who loves me will be loved by my father. I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas says, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus says, anyone who loves me and will obey my teachings. Again, he says it. My father will love them and will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teachings. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the father who sent me. So we're starting to get this theme. Two parts, Jesus' commands. First and foremost, if you wanna love me, then follow my commands. Well, what's your command? Well, my command is that we love one another. And now let's hop on over to 15. We'll finish out the fist pumping with this, all right? So we're gonna go down here to verse nine. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I have learned from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. So that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. And again in verse 17, this is my command love each other. How hard headed and slow at learning must these disciples have been that he, I mean, did anybody come close to counting how many fist pumps we did in there? You're just guessing, you don't know. I was counting on you two, man. This is college, this is college isn't paying off. No. I don't know, man. I, I, these guys are hard. He, over and over, he kept saying the same thing over and over. And I thought, those guys are slow. Until I reflected on Christina telling me to take the trash out. You know, where it's like, hey, it'd be nice if somebody take the trash out. And then it's like, Sean, maybe you could take the trash out. And, hey, Sean, will you take the trash out? Sean, did you forget to take the trash out? (laughs) Sean, I'm taking the trash out. Sean, I took the trash out, and I'm not talking to you for the next two days. (laughs) I mean, like, maybe maybe we're all a little hard-headed. Maybe we need to hear things repetitively or with redundancy. This is the last message he's given them. And over and over again, he says very simply, look, if you love me, keep my commands. And my command is that you love each other. The world will know you, and they will know you are my disciples if you love one another. That's the why. Why is this mission statement simple, and why is it important? Because loving God is where we get all our fuel and all of our energy and all that we need to give and bless the people around us. Why is loving others important? because it was commanded to us, because ultimately it's how we connect, it's how we make the world go a better direction, it's how we respond to the craziness going on around us, and it's how we ultimately experience the blessing of getting to be His children by expressing His love to others and seeing what that does in the lives of the people around us. Loving God and loving others. Next week we'll hit making disciples, but let's just camp here for a few minutes. So we've got the why. So what's the who? Well, who are we supposed to love? Well, the great commandment says to love your neighbor. All right, we're gonna dig into that a little bit more next week too, but who's, who's your neighbor? Well, just briefly, the easy explanation is it's the person next to you. So if you're married, your spouse is your neighbor. If you have children, your kids are your neighbor. If you have parents, your parents are your neighbor. If you have friends, they're your neighbor. If you have somebody whose address is next to yours, then they're your neighbor. All those people are the ones we're supposed to be loving. That's what he calls us to do. Love the people close to us and around us. We're going to dig in this year as a church and try to help figure out how to do marriage better because your closest neighbor for many of you is your spouse. How do we do this well? How do we parent well? How do we make our homes a loving place so that that overflows to the neighborhood around us? We're gonna dig tangibly into that, and we'll tell you how. But suffice it to say that God wants us to love each other. He wants our homes to be loving places. So that's the why, and, and that's the, the who. Um, so what? What what is, what is love? It's kind of complicated. The world, man, Country Western songs give us one image of what love is supposed to be, and you know, dating reality TV shows give us another image of what love's supposed to be. So let's just go back to the source for a little bit and look at a couple of things from Scripture that describe what love is. First and foremost, you need to understand that Jesus was love. He was. He lived a life of love. And in John chapter 1, verse 14, and again in verse 17, it describes that he, Jesus, was grace and truth. Love is grace and truth. Why is that important? Because even inside the church, even if you reject what The Bachelor tells you love is or, you know, what Garth Brooks tells you love is, you can still get tripped up by people in the church who mistakenly try to define what love is. I'm going to say something that's controversial for some of you. Just listen to it. You Reject it if you want, wrestle with it a little if you want, but I want you to hear this from me. God does not unconditionally accept you or anyone. Love is not unconditional acceptance. I'll say it again love is not unconditional acceptance. Nowhere in the Bible does it say God is unconditionally accepting. You will hear lots of pastors tell you that, you will hear lots of counselors tell you that. That's not true. The only reason God accepts this sinful, sad mistake of a Sean is because I accepted Jesus as my Savior, and when he looks at me, he looks at me through the blood of Jesus. Then I'm accepted. But it's not because of my behavior. He doesn't accept my behavior. He doesn't appreciate a lot of my behavior. He doesn't condone much of my behavior. So I want you to hear that because the world will tell you even the Christian world will tell you that love is unconditional acceptance. That is not true. Love is the balance of grace and truth. I'm looking at some of you here in the room who have had to who have had to do some really hard things with people you love that were very truthful because that's what they had to have in the moment. You didn't accept the behavior that they were exhibiting because it wasn't acceptable. So you set a boundary and you brought truth so that they could begin a process toward healing. But don't, make no mistake. I'm stuttering. I'm like Mel up here. Make no mistake. (laughs) Truth without grace is not love either. Truth without grace is judgment. We don't want that. Grace without truth is tolerance. We don't want that. We want love, man. Love is the balance of grace and truth, and that's where it gets hard. How do you know in that situation with your kids how to balance grace and truth? Man, you better get the Holy Spirit to team up with you to figure that out because it is challenging. When something's going on in your marriage that just doesn't feel right, how do you know how much grace to give and how much truth to give? That's a challenge, man. That's Like I said, it's simple but not easy. But love is grace and truth. I'm confident that that's what the Bible says. And I'm confident that that's who Jesus was. Maybe that's too deep and too complex. So you can go to, nobody reads that scripture at weddings because it's just, <laughs> you know, it's, it's not fun. But you can go to 1 Corinthians and a lot of people put that in the wedding. And it describes love as well with a lot of adjectives and adverbs, right? Love is patient, it's kind, it's not envious, it's not boastful, it's not proud, it's not dishonoring, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Yeah, that's that's another good way to look at it and think about love. When you're thinking about, you know, what is love? It's described pretty clearly there. How, How well are we doing? That's a little convicting if we think through it. So that's the what love is. Now, the next question you probably should ask is, okay, so what's keeping me from loving the people around me the way God wants me to? What is it that's getting in the way of that? If this is so simple, why am I not a little bit better at it? Well, I think there's a long list of reasons for that too. One of the most common is that, man, we're just tired. We're empty and exhausted, and we have no energy left and no margin. It's like, oh, really? I, I kind of think I'm supposed to ask Christina how she's doing right now, but I really don't know that I want to hear the answer because I'm exhausted. You know, I know I should walk over next door and knock on Mr. Don's door and ask him how he's doing. But he's going to invite me in. And I'm going to sit there for a while and then he's going to, you know, it's, it's emptiness and exhaustion. That's why I think the great commandment actually says, love the Lord your God. And then it says, love your neighbor as yourself. And somewhere in that is this implication that we need to be taking care of ourselves and loving ourselves so that we have something to give to the people around us that mean so much to us. Just on the way to church this morning on the radio, they were talking about mental health and they said uh, the study was just done and it looked at um, diet, exercise, and rest, and uh, which was the best predictor of positive mental health? Which of the three do you think was tops? Sleep actually came out on top. Rest came out on top. So are we doing the things that we need to be doing to recharge ourselves so that we can love our neighbor like we're supposed to? Don't let emptiness and exhaustion, man, stuff is gonna try to rob your time. You've got to decide what do I need to put aside so that I can love the people around me the best. But that's not the only reason. I mean, loving people, let's be honest, it's risky to be vulnerable. They could reject you. They could reject the love you're trying to give them. that could tie to the bottom one down there, past experience. Maybe you've tried before and bumped into a wall or gotten hurt. It's like, why keep trying? Why keep loving when this is what's gonna happen? Some of us are just selfish, if we're honest. We'd just rather take care of ourselves. It's like, I could do that, but the golf course is right there. It's nice outside. I deserve to play some golf. You know, I mean, sometimes we just... We're selfish. What else is stopping us? Some of us don't see ourselves as having anything to offer. What am I going to do if I walk over there and talk to Mr. Don? I don't know how to do anything or I don't have any way. What what am I supposed to bring? So there's lots of reasons. And maybe part of what this morning is, is you kind of sitting there for a moment and going, okay, is there something that's stopping me from loving the people around me the way that I should? from fully investing myself since God's commanded this. He loved me first. I need to share that love with others. Is there something that's blocking me from living out that command that he's tossed at us? All right, I wanna wrap it up with this uh, last question, which is, well, how, how do you love the people around you? And uh, Ephesians is a pretty cool uh, book in the Bible. It's uh, written to this group of folks and uh, Paul was in prison when he wrote it in the first three chapters, he's really kind of laying out the whole gospel for this area. So that it's not kind of, they have a problem in their church. Like a lot of letters are, there's a problem there and he's responded to that problem. He's just kind of laying it all out in simple form in verses, in chapters one through three. And then he gets to chapter four and he kind of shifts to, so this is how you should live in light of all Jesus has done for us. And so that's where we pick it up. This is the message version. So Eugene Peterson's translation of these verses One through three. In light of all of this, Paul says, here's what I want you to do. I think this is a message for us. While he's locked up there, a prisoner for the master, Paul said, I want you to get out there and walk. No, no, better yet, run on the road God, God called you to travel. I don't want any of you sitting around on your hands. I don't want anyone strolling off down some path that goes to nowhere. And mark that you do this with humility and discipline, not in fits and starts, but steadily pouring ourselves out. For each other in acts of love, alert at nothing, noticing differences and quick at mending fences, but steadily pouring ourselves out for each other in acts of love. Paul's saying, all right, so with all this that's been done for us, let's get out there and let's love each other. Let's show the world what love looks like. A world that desperately needs grace and truth in equal measure. That's what we're supposed to be doing cool thing is he goes on in uh, verse seven to say it, this, but, but that doesn't mean just because I want you out there running and we should be serving the Lord doesn't mean that we should all look and speak and act the same because out of the generosity of Christ, each of us is given his own gifts. We've been given different ways that we love others. We're not all going to look the same. That's okay. Some of you are amazing servants you're gonna show up and fix things for people. You're gonna be there to carry something when somebody needs it. You're servant-hearted, and that's how you express love. That's a great thing. Others of you are amazing listeners. Some of you are incredible encouragers or at affirming people. Some of them is just your presence, your willingness to be present communicates love to the people around you. You need to discern this as well. Lord, what is it that makes me a loving person for those around me? Man. And be careful, because it's easy to get jealous of how good that person is at loving the way that they do. It's like, well, I wish I was like that. I, I, I wish that for a while. I, I was like, man, Christina's so cool. Like, she comes in a room, and people get all excited, and she's encouraging them and affirming them, and they're all high five and they're laughing, and they're smiling. I want to love people that way. I'm no good at that. I'm not. just not wired that way. I'm kind of more, I'm gonna sit on this edge of this stage. You can come sit down beside me and we'll chat for a while. And if I'm living life the way God designed me to, you'll feel some love based on hopefully the way I listen and understand. It's just different. Not one's better than the other. It takes them all. But you need to understand and think about, okay, Lord, how did you uniquely gift me to show love to the people around me? And don't try to be anything you're not. Just be wholeheartedly who you are. That's gonna make a difference. So how did you teach me to love? What did you put inside me? What did you naturally gift me with? What is it that blocks me from doing that? And then get out there and run that path. The world needs your love. People around you need your love. We don't need any more division. We don't need any more unity, disunity. We don't need any more chaos. We need a lot more love.